Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. I want to speak on the supernatural river. Supernatural River. If you will take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, the 47th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. Now, guys, where the, I want the men to listen to me just a moment. I talked to a guy the other day and he said to me, he said, my wife tells me I never listen or something like that. Did you hear that? He, he said to me, he said, my wife tells me I never listen or something like that. <laughs> now, guys, listen to me. When your wife repeats something over and over and over again, when you hear she says the same thing over and over and over again, don't you feel that that might be an indication you should pay attention? Right? This is something she wants you. That's the women clapping there. Preach, Dr. Rutland, preach. Well, what about, what about if God repeats something? Now, maybe not in the exact words, but it is, he says, you've heard this. Now you've heard it again. Now you've heard it again. Almost exactly the same image repeated at critical moments in, throughout scripture. And then finally, in the, in the closing verses of the book of Revelation, he says, look, I've said this twice already, and it's like you're not hearing me. It's not that God is a nag. It is that he wants so desperately for us to get it that he not only paints a graphic image of this river, he repeats the picture of this river periodically throughout Scripture. So if you have your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 47... I'm going to begin reading at verse one. Afterward, he brought me up. He brought me again under the door of the house, the house of the temple, that is. And behold, the waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way outside under the outer gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters and the waters were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and brought, and brought me through and the waters were to the loins. Afterward, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass over for the waters were risen. Waters sufficient to swim in a river that could not be passed over. And he said unto me, son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink, to the brink of the river. Now, when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said unto me, these waters issued out 
toward the east country and they'll go down into the Arabah or the Negev or the plain of the south, the deep south of Israel and go into the sea and being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. What sea? Who can tell me what sea is in the south of the desert of Israel? The Dead Sea. So he says, this river will flow into the Dead Sea and heal it. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, wherever the river shall come, shall live, and there shall be very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come there, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live where the river cometh. And it shall come to pass that the fishermen shall stand upon it from Angedi unto Angelim, and there shall be a place to spread forth their nets, and fish shall be according to their kinds as the fish of the great sea. That's the Mediterranean, the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. However, now watch this, but the miry places and the marshes, that is backwater, still water, stagnant water, where the river does not flow, where the river doesn't touch it, it's just, it's just backwater. The miry places and the marshes, they shall not be healed. They shall be given over to salt. And by the river upon its bank on this side and on that side shall grow all trees for food, uh, for food whose leaf shall not fade. Neither shall its fruit be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to its months because their waters issued out of the sanctuary and its fruit shall be for food and its leaf for medicine or you might say, for healing. Now turn, if you will, to Zechariah. Just mark that place in Ezekiel and turn to Zechariah, the 14th chapter. Now again, I told you it's not going to be exactly the same words, but it's the same image. I'm going to read beginning with verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, the Mediterranean, half of them toward the hinder sea, the Salton Sea, the Dead Sea, in summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, shall there be one Lord and his name one, and the land shall be like the Araba, a plain, from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. The whole desert is saying, the Judean desert south of Jerusalem shall be like a well-watered plain, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in its place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, under the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel unto the king's wine presses. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Now turn to the book of Revelation final book in the Bible, the 22nd chapter. Now, if God says it three times, it's got to be because he wants us to hear it. And if he says it three times and the last time he says it is one of the last things he says, you've got to sense the hugeness of it. Revelation chapter 22, and he showed me a pure river of water of life as clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there, was there the tree of life, which bore twelve kinds of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. 
and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they will need no lamp, neither the light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now place your hands on the Bible, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, with our hands upon the word, our hearts and minds as open as we know how to get them, we're asking you to do all the rest. Come, Holy Spirit. We believe you that this very night, the river of supernatural healing grace will be open unto us and us to it. In Jesus' name, amen. What a powerful and gripping image. Ezekiel said a man appears to him with a measuring line in his hand. And he's holding this line. And as he watches this man, from under the altar, a spring bursts forth. And water begins to flow down the side of the temple and out and toward the east. And this man with the measuring line goes out into the water, backs up and beckons Ezekiel. Come out here. Come further. Come toward me. He's a thousand cubits out. And Ezekiel wades out toward him. And this river, this flowing river, is flowing over his ankles. And then, just when he's about to reach the man, he backs up a thousand more cubits. And he says, come on, keep coming deeper. Keep coming. And he goes out. Don't you think now maybe he's a little more tenuous? Now he's to his knees. Have you ever stood in a rapidly flowing river? And that river's sweeping at your feet. Now he's to his knees and he's walking this way. And just when he starts to reach that man, he backs up a thousand cubits more. And he says, come on, come on deeper, come on out. And now Ezekiel's wading out, wading out. And it says the, the water is to his hips, to his waist. And the water is just flowing, ripping at him. And he realizes that it has become a massive river. What opened as a spring underneath the altar, a mere trickle of water that ran out from the sanctuary in the place of sacrifice and worship. Now it says has become a raging river, a huge river, so big that you could swim in it, but so strong that you can't get across it. No man could cross it. My dad is 93 years old today. Today, 93. Combat veteran of two wars, tough guy, tough guy. His soldiers called him Rocky, and it was not a term of endearment. Rocky's 93 today, and today, as I prepared this message and thought about his birthday, I thought about the day he taught me to swim. That is a euphemism. Anybody else here ever been taught to swim by a paratrooper? That's not the greatest experience in the world. My father took me to the county swimming pool, great big swimming pool, lowered me gradually to the edge of the swimming pool in the deep end. And he swam out to where he could stand and the water was right to his chin. And he said, all right, push out and come here. I said, I don't know how to swim. He said, well, just dog paddle, just swim, just come to me. And I pushed out and paddled desperately toward my dad. 
And just when I lunged to reach his fingertips, he backed up. He said, you're doing fine. Come on. <laughs> you know, I said, Daddy, Daddy, I can't reach the bottom. He said, no, you're in the deep end. Come on. And you know, that lesson was sufficient. I can swim to this day. That's kind of the experience that God gives Ezekiel. He says, come on, just wait out. <laughs> just to your ankles. How scary can that be? Just when he reaches him, he backs up again. He says, now it's to his knees. A raging river, a fast river flowing, knocking his feet. He said, come on, come on, I'm right out here. Come on out to me. He reaches out. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm saying God is a cantankerous paratrooper. What I am saying is this, our every experience with God and his every witness usward in scripture shows us that the, that the constant disposition of God is to summon us out deeper. He constantly calls us further in, further out, higher up. Every time we reach a place where we want to camp, God says there's more. That's the reason it says that he, he leads us, calls us, summons us, not just from glory to glory, but from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. He keeps calling us further out. Now, is it, is it scary? I, I, it is scary. I mean, it's, I, I didn't think my father was going to let me drown. Not really. <laughs> but there is a desperation. Do you remember the story? Sure you do. Where Jesus walks toward the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and they think it's a ghost. That, don't tell me that Jesus never laughed. The Bible doesn't stay as straight out, but you gotta know. He's walking out of the water toward the boat and all of that. It's a ghost! It's a ghost! Jesus says, you nitwits. me. And Peter says, if that's you, not I know it's you. He says, if that's you, bid me to come to thee. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do that? It's a spontaneous thing. Simon Peter's probably the most spontaneous person in the whole Bible. Spontaneity may not have been his strong suit. Why would he say, if that's you, bid me to come to thee? I think it is because there is something in us that knows intuitively or perhaps experientially and biblically that, that if it's God, he's calling us out. If it's God, he'll call. If that's you, if that's you, I know it's like you to call me out. You can walk on water. Make me walk on water. You're out on the lake. Call me out on the lake. You're experiencing that. Let me experience it. That's a wonderful thing to know about God. The one thing that I can say to every person under the sound of my voice tonight is this. Listen, no matter where you are in your walk with God, God would not have it so. If you are here tonight, your wife has just twisted your arm and forced you to be here, and you've finally come just to get the woman off your back. No, I live in the real world. Then let me tell you something. Where you are tonight, God says, come out deeper. Come out further. Come up higher. I've got more for you. 
I've got more for you. By the same token, if you've been sanctified holy since 1937, walking with Jesus and a prayer life that would just make us all be inspired, God has the same word for you. Come out deeper. Come up higher. There's more for you. The one hymn that every single Christian, every unbeliever and believer, no matter where we are in life and in our journey with God, can all sing universally is, Lord, lift me up and place my feet on higher ground. Take me out further. Now, the second thing is this. As we look at this passage from Ezekiel, not only does he call us further out, then he gives us a revelation of the character and nature of the river. The river is not only powerful and slightly threatening, slightly, there is a kind of a, look, there is a kind of a scariness to every new adventure with God. If lostness and bondage and hurt and envy and bitterness and sin and struggle, if that's all you've ever known, there's part of you, a great part of you that wants out of it, wants free of it. There's another part of you that's kind of scared to let go of it because the only thing you know. So Jesus says, do you, do you want to be free? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be well? Yes, Lord, I do, kind of. A lot, some. And God meets us there. So it's kind of scary. If you've been walking with God, you're saved. It comes to the moment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was, I just need to say this to you. I needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I received it. I needed it. I was desperate for it. I was longing for it. My my marriage needed it. My ministry, such as it was, needed it. I needed it. At the same time, it really scared me. I knew nothing about it. I had no cultural experience with it. I didn't grow up in the exciting, in an exciting, spirit-filled, charismatic church like I grew up in stone dead, shallow water, high steeple, tight collar, liturgical churches. There was there was no river, but there was a very shallow pool. And and God is saying, I'm going to sweep everything away. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to change your ministry. I'm going to transform everything. Do you want this? I said, yeah. I know I need it. But it scares me. That's the, that's the river that's sweeping. And we realize I can't even walk in this thing. But then he shows us the effect of the river. This is what keeps it from being so terrifying. The trees that grow, it's, sometimes it's pictured as a tree. Sometimes it's pictured as trees on both sides of the river. But the image is of verdancy, lushness. These rich trees with, with this fruit. And over and over again, it says that it bears its fruit every month. Wow. Who wouldn't love to have an orchard that you could, from which you could harvest every single month? Wouldn't that be wonderful? God says, I'm going to fill your life with such richness, such verdancy, such fruitfulness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, tolerance, self-control. And it's not just going to be one time. It's going to be over and over and over and over again. You're going to, your life's going to be filled with these things. He says, does that make it a little less scary? Yes, Lord, that makes it less scary. And then he says, now just look at the leaves, not just the fruit. Did you notice that? It says, and the leaves of the trees 
will be healing medicine for the nations. So when just even the leaves of the trees will be medicinal, God knows the nations of the world today filled with hate and violence and bitterness and racism and, and envy and strife and greed and war and famine. We need healing. We need healing. And where is, where is the healing? The healing is the direct experience of the touch of this supernatural river. Now look at the next thing he says. Not only is it healing for the nations, not only is it fruitfulness in your own life. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel. If you haven't, I hope you will get the chance to go. I know pastor's taking a group in the fall. But if you haven't been, I hope you can go. But there is a place called Engelim. As you, as one drives down the road from Qumran, down by the Dead Sea, there's just a rocky outcropping where you could even, you could stop the bus. It's a little, you don't want to because the road is narrow, but you could stop the bus and it's just a rock, rock formations. It looks like somebody dropped a hydrogen bomb on it. Just a deep, deep Judean desert and the Dead Sea below you. Not one living thing in the Dead Sea. There's nothing, not a minnow, not a tadpole, not, there is no, nothing living of any kind in the Dead Sea. And God says, when that river flows, not only will the Dead Sea come alive, fishermen will stand on the rocks at Ein Gelim and cast their nets, and they'll catch fish that used to live in the Mediterranean. Praise God. Don't you see what it means? Not only is the Holy Spirit a river of supernatural power that has a little bit of a breathtaking edge to it. Not only is the Holy Spirit bring forth the fruit of the Spirit, not only does it manifest itself through us in healing for the nations, it has the power to turn the Dead Sea into a lush sea that there will be productivity and joy and fulfillment. These prophecies are, yes, they'll be, I believe it'll come to pass, but it also comes to pass in our lives. Now, where there has been a dead place, where has been the desertified, abandoned desert where nothing lives but jackals and coyotes, God says, when the river of the Holy Spirit flows, I will give you trees and a forest and fruit and lushness and verdancy and the dead water will come alive and the fish that have been in the Mediterranean will swim in the Dead Sea and where there's been nothing but Bedouins, there'll be fishermen. What a promise. There's no life so dry, no heart so desertified, no desert so dark, no, no sand so burned by the sun that this supernatural river of the Holy Spirit cannot flow and turn it into a virtual forest. What a mighty God we serve. And then there is this issue of where the river comes from. The river begins at the altar, at the place of worship and sacrifice and submission. The river flows out from there. And it becomes bigger and richer and more powerful and, and more exciting and more dramatic and more fruitful. And, and it heals the Dead Sea of us. It heals the, the rivers of us. It heals the nations. 
but it begins in a place of submission and surrender and worship. The Holy Spirit, the supernatural river of the Holy Ghost, begins at the place of surrender. That place where we say, God, I give you everything I have. I give you everything I have. I put it on the altar. Whatever you want to call that, I lay it on the altar. That's where the spring begins to burst forth. There's a wonderful moment where it comes. Now, I've seen this in so many lives. And today I was remembering thinking about this sermon. I was thinking about one of the most humorous things I ever saw where anybody receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I thought it would bless you. I was preaching at a church in Florida and a student from Southeastern University, a ministry student came to me and he came back into the green room where we were getting ready to go out. And he said, Dr. Utland, please pray tonight. Please pray. He said, is there any chance you're preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I said, as a matter of fact, I am. He said, oh, are you going to give an altar call? I said, yes. I said, do you need the baptism of the Spirit? He said, no, not me. He said, I'm spirit-filled. But he said, oh, Dr. Mark, I'm in love. (laughs) He said, I'm crazy about this girl. And he said, she didn't grow up in Pentecost. She doesn't know anything about this. I've witnessed to her. She's scared about it, but she's here tonight. He said, I want to marry this girl. I want to marry her. But he said, I want to be a Pentecostal preacher. And he said, I can't have a wife who's not filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, please pray. (laughs) Fine, son, fine, you know. So I went, I preached, I gave the altar call and This cute little blonde came down, knelt at the altar there, and he came and knelt right beside her. I said, well, there's there's this girl. I went down and I said, honey, would you like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Tears on her little face. She said, yes, I would. I led her in a prayer of complete surrender, and I said, now lift up your hands. I laid my hands on her head. I said, in the name of Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. She opened her mouth and began to praise God, and he leaned over and said, would you marry me? I said, son, let her get up. (laughs) Now, girls, do not misunderstand what I'm telling you. Don't draw the wrong conclusion there. I'm going up there tonight, and I'm going to receive the Holy Ghost on a husband. No, what I'm saying is, don't you see that he knew the supernatural river of blessing? He knew he needed in his marriage and his home and in his ministry. And he was so desperate for her to receive so that they could both live in that river. And he was so in love with her that he couldn't wait for her to quit speaking in tongues. I said, could you just wait a minute, son? There's joy in the river. There's life in the river. There's healing in the river. There's resurrection in the river. There's fruitfulness in the river. There's abundance in the river. Well, I've told the girls at New Beginnings, let me, I'll share it with you. Some years ago, our baby daughter, Emily, could not seem to conceive. She just couldn't conceive. We had a wonderful spirit-filled church in Lakeland where she was a just married there in Lakeland to our wonderful son-in-law, James, and she just couldn't get pregnant. So they went one Sunday morning to church and asked my dear friend and our, one of our pastor friends, Reggie Scarborough, would you, would you please pray? She said, I can't seem to conceive. 
And Reggie prayed for her and she conceived our first granddaughter, Juliet. And then she conceived our second daughter, Camille. And evidently Reggie overprayed. Because <laughs> now Emily is pregnant with twins. Where the river flows. <laughs> now, don't, don't get the wrong. Look, I just saw five men turn over their wives saying, you're not going up there tonight, baby. I don't care what kind of invitation he gives. You stay where you are. <laughs> no, don't you understand? I'm, I, I'm talking about a river of blessing, a river of life, a river of abundance. I don't know what I was so scared of. I didn't know the river. I hadn't experienced the river. Nobody had explained the river. I, I, it, it just looked scary. It looked like it was going to sweep away everything I'd known. It, it did. I just didn't realize the lushness and the beauty and the abundance that it was going to leave in its place. Now listen to this. There is a sober warning in it. There is a little sober warning. Listen to this. It says, but the miry places and the marshes shall not be healed. So what does it mean? It means someplace where water washes up out of the river, goes over a bank, settles into a low place. There's no movement. It just settles in. It just becomes a stinky, nasty swamp. God says, I can't heal that. I can't heal any place that won't receive the river. You hold something apart. This is mine. I want the river to flow all here and all here, but not here. God says, if the river doesn't flow there, the trees won't grow. The fruit won't blossom. The leaves won't bring medicine. Healing won't come. Abundance won't come. That, he said, that won't be healed. So what does it mean? It just means that we wait out and we say, God, all right, I'm a little scared here. I'm a little scared here. I've never been out this deep before. Take me deeper. Take me further. Take me further out into it. But God, I admit to you, it's a little scary. God says, come on. Come on out here. Come on. You start toward him and he says, there's only one thing. I want it all. I want it all. And he says, God, what if I give you everything I've got? I give you everything I've got? He said, yes, but in return... I'm going to give you everything I've got. That's a better than even trade. Well, let me close with this. Anybody here? This is such a young church. It's so irritating. But I wonder if there's anybody here that remembers an old radio program used to be on pub, national public radio called Swap Shop. Somebody, oh, I see a lot of hands. Oh, you're telling your age now. Somebody would call in, live call-in show. 
I got a 12-gauge shotgun. I'd like to trade. Somebody else says, I, I've got a sailboat with the mast broken off. All right, I'll take your sailboat. You take my shotgun. They'd exchange. This is all on the radio. And I, was, I used to listen to it, just get amused at the goofy trades people make. Somebody said, I've, I've got a cabin in Arkansas. I think, well, they're not going to get anything for that. Somebody would call up and say, I've, I've got an apartment, a penthouse apartment in Manhattan. Oh, let's trade. And then it occurred to me, what if God ran swap shop? What if God ran swap shop? You turn your radio on. That's it. God here. Let's make a deal. What do you got? I say, well, lots of sin. Okay. Uh, what else you got? Bondage, hurt, hate, broken marriage, wounded spirit, molested childhood, Depression, fear, anxiety, loneliness. Anything else? Well, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, doubt, unbelief, lots of unbelief, unbelief. Guys, anything else? Yes, I've done terrible things, had terrible things done to me. My memories are broken. My emotions are wounded. God said, anything else? So, well, that's all I got. God says, I'll take it. I'll take it. That's what I was waiting on. And you say, Lord, you say you'll take it. That's great. I'm glad to get rid of it. But what do I get in return? And he says, look under the altar. And a spring bursts forth. Water runs out. Trees begin to sprout. Fruit hanging down lush. The fish leaping in the sunshine. And he says that it's all yours and more. That's a supernatural river. That's a supernatural river. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.